0: This is the Christian Heritage London podcast from London. Well, it's a great privilege for me to be sitting here with my friend, William Taylor. It's lovely to see you, Ben. Yes, the rector of St. Helens Bishopsgate, where we're presently sitting. How long have you been rector here, William? Well, funnily enough, um, Dick retired in 1998.
1: So September the 10th, I think it was oh. 1998. So 20 years this September. There you go, a date for church history. Well, I don't think that. <laughs> I was here as a curate for three years before that. So I've been here since May 95. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And prior to being here, where were you? Um, I worked in a church called Christchurch Bromley, just down, obviously, in Bromley. So I
0: was there for three and a half, four years, 1991 mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. 95. Mm-hmm. So you've been in London, well, the same sort of amount of time as me, for, since 95, eh? Yeah, that's right. Yes, we were married in 95, we moved here. And where did you come from before you were in London? Um, I served in the army for Mm. five years, so from
1: 1983 to 1998. Mm -hmm. And before that, um, I grew up on a a, a small farm down in, in the West Country. Oh, gracious. Very much a working farm. So, I mean, you know, we were the Labour, so... My mum and dad did all the work. You know, we threw all the bales around, mucked out the pigs every morning, fed calves by hand, hand-reared calves. You know, milked the cow. I mean, actually, in those days, you had a house cow, so we would milk the cow first thing in the morning, bring the milk up in a bucket. The calf would have been drinking the other side, oh. and uh, and then we would, uh, my mother would sit it, and we'd put it on the arger and cream the top off. For Cornish cream and feed the skim milk to the pigs. Oh, extraordinary. Now, <laughs> 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 anyway, that's, a, that's another story. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> and
1: were you one of many, or were you four the children? Uh-huh. So I got an older brother and two younger sisters. Uh-huh. And you were all involved in the in the family very, business. Oh yeah. yeah, very much so. Yeah. I mean, those small farms. That's how you work, you know. Mm. So everybody
0: everybody mucks in. Hmm. Just like central London. <laughs> 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 when did you move to uh, to Kent? Did you go to university? Oh, you were in, you were in the army first? Yeah, yeah. From Cornwall, I went to university in 1980, Mm -hmm. um, first
1: time Mm round. I was the first in our family to go to university, so Mm -hmm. we're an absolutely non-academic type family in that Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody on my father's side, my father used to keep saying to me, it's time you got a proper job and stop idling about as a student, and Mm -hmm. a real, actually quite a negative view of you know, students and the universities, and mm. so we're not professional in that sense. And a lot of the rural um, community think like that, I think mm-hmm. pretty much still about the professional, yeah, <laughs> professional classes. Mm-hmm. And then um, my mother's family, I didn't think, uh, I didn't think any of them, be, none of them been to university, so.
0: mm. And what did you read at university? I read geography, oh. fine degree. Uh. A lot of colouring in. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And how did you come to hear the gospel? How were you led to the Lord? Well, I was away at boarding school uh, as a child from the age of eight,
1: so went to a you know classic sort of boarding school experience. Uh, so eight to thirteen at a small boarding school down in um, in Wiltshire, and then thirteen through to eighteen um, was up at Eton in Windsor, and uh, I'd been brought up in a home that was formerly Christian. My mother was a very clear Christian, but in those days, you know, we went to church. You, you, if you hadn't gone to the local church in an agricultural community, you would have cut yourself off from any kind of Christian witness at all, and my parents were very keen to, though simply formally Christian, they were really Christian. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk a huge amount at home about the Lord my mother read the bible with us every day when we were little Mm. so i could still remember each evening you know gentle jesus meek and mild but it was much more of a kind of formal formal thing went away to boarding school and in my teens really drifted right away but still would have said i was a christian if anybody had asked me and i was asked to spend some time away from school in my last term reasons we needn't go into (laughs) but they weren't entirely good Mm -hmm. and when I was uh, there was like eight weeks left to go and actually my housemaster who was running you know my part of the school where we lived said I suggest you go away and don't come back till the penultimate day of term Otherwise, we will have to ask you to leave." So, wow, so he was very, I mean, it was a very shrewd thing. The exams had finished, he knew if I'd stayed around for another six weeks, I would have really gone so far off the rails, they would have had to sack me. So mm-hmm. I went and stayed with my grandfather. He, my grandparents were very keen Christians. He was, um, he was not ordained, uh, but had become a Christian in his thirties. In he was a landowner in North Norfolk, a big landowner. And very clear. He used to speak at the IQ, the Kick the Dick He used to do university missions, parish missions, travel abroad, as just an English gent, really. Mm. I went to stay with him, and over the course of that weekend, uh, he talked to me about the Lord Jesus. Mm. I began to realise that Christianity was about the person Jesus, not about religion and rules and going to church. I was convicted, really, of my own rejection of Christ, and. Did what I thought was the put up a bit of a fight, but over the weekend he explained and you know just reasoned with me. And um, on the Saturday it was December nineteen seventy nine, December the eighteenth, nineteen seventy nine. I know it because my name was in their visitors book. So mm. you know when I, I think my mother's got the visitors book. I just there. that's the weekend I became a Christian. Then I asked the Lord Jesus, uh, uh, my personal Savior and Lord. Though I think lordship. I hadn't really had stress to me, Mm -hmm. um, or I hadn't realised, I hadn't grasped. I remember waking up the next morning, opening the Bible, reading a passage, and it made sense for the first time in my life. And in a passage that had been taught in the school chapel Mm. and had been gobbledygook, I opened it just there in my room, because I think my grandpa must have given me a Bible, and I remember reading it, and it just made absolutely sense. And I came down the next morning and said, yes, I did pray last night, Um, pray pray that prayer, and what should I do? And he said, read the Bible every day, do what it says, and leave the consequences to God, which is a great piece of it. And then That's a couple brilliant. of years, um, I had a gap year, so I went traveling, um, but read the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. I was coming down to London. I was still a pretty wild child. We used to go out gambling, come in at three o'clock in the morning from the Golden Horseshoe in Soho. <laughs> and, I'd read my Bible because I, I thought that's what I should be doing. You know, I was still smoking 20 or 30 a day and, you know, all living the life that I had been living before as a 19-year-old, 18-and-a-half-year-old. But I would have said I'm a Christian and I read the Bible every day through that year. Mm. Um, went up to Cambridge and my grandfather... I went to stay with my grandfather before and he said, go and find the Christian Union. They will become like your family.
0: Mm.
1: So I went... <laughs> I'm ashamed to say it's an awful thing to say now. When I look back, I went to see, find the Christian Union, and I thought, "Oh my goodness!" I, was, I, was, I really was horrified. <laughs> this was going to be like my family, but I knew it was the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. So gradually, I was then exposed to the Lordship of Christ mm. and began to see that you know a lot of the ways I was living. So big, big battle mm. in that period as my saviour became my lord. Mm. I was picked up by people who were involved in the kind of camps, Mm. holiday thing, and nurtured Mm. and encouraged by them, and and gradually began to to start
0: to become more of a Christian. Mm. Was there a particular friend? Was Was it the group? Was it speakers? Would you? Well,
1: when I got to Cambridge, Mark Ruston, who was the vicar of the Round Church, waiting in my pigeonhole at Robinson College was a little note. Um, come and have tea and I'd just been at Santa's for three weeks on their sort of university scholars course and I got into um, and I thought and I sort of I think I was quite good at doing as I was told so My grandfather had told Mark Rust and I was coming and I went to tea with Mark and then you know, it was a very, you know, it, We've all seen Christians like this, haven't we? Who are just the battle is on for this man's soul. Mm. And Mark must have mm. just prayed. I mean he told me afterwards he used to open all the windows after I'd been in because I put my cigarette on the doorstep. Walk in. <laughs> and he would so, so but he just prayed and he told the there was a group there who prayed for the young lads who were coming up from boarding schools and he told them to pray and, Anyway, he prayed. Others. There was another person who was a um, sort of bit quite similar to me, and he befriended me. That helped a lot Mm. because I realised that actually, I mean, it's a it's an awful thing to say, but in my eyes, you could be normal Mm. and a Christian. It's an awful thing to say. Mm. I don't, you know, it sounds awful now, but that's what was going on up here and in here.
0: Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. But the, you, we've all seen it from the other side now, you see this all the time, don't you? You seriously do, The battle yes. is on. That's yeah. right. That's right. As my, my dad said once, he said, um, it's, the Christian life is not like a war, it's a war. It is a war. And That's right. Uh, yeah. One thing which I've noticed from your ministry here and uh, your, your service of the church at St. Helens is that it's a church which is known for its clarity with the Bible, its respect for the text, but it's unusually evangelistic. And there's that relational element. I hear. I remember Don Carson saying that um, he said uh, Jesus had this thing about him wherein John could say he was the disciple who Jesus loved. And uh, these are the same term is used of Lazarus. Mary and Martha come to Jesus and say, the one you love has died. Mm. And there's that friendly element. I've heard uh, people say the same thing of uh, Michael Reeves and others, that when you're with them, you're the only person with yeah. them. And yeah. that's something which you have... Uh, that is something which you are skilled at, and natural at, and are fostering in the congregation here. It's a group of individuals who are being fed and are therefore fertile. Isn't that what the word does though? Mm. Because actually when the,
1: the gospel, the gospel is God speaking. I mean, the word of God is God's current word to us today. I don't mean we read it straight off the text as if, I am Jesus, or I am the apostle. I mean, people make big mistakes by doing that. We need to go back to what the author was originally saying to the people to whom he was originally speaking, Mm. understand what the Holy Spirit was saying then. And once I've understood what the Holy Spirit was saying to them then, providing I understand it within its biblical context as a whole, Mm. um, then that is what he is saying to the believer today. Mm. And I say the biblical context as a whole, because obviously what he was saying to them then in the book of Joshua needs to be understood with its fulfillment within the biblical context as a whole. But mm. once I've understood it and I teach it, it is the living word of God now. Mm. Mm. And in those in the early chapters of Hebrews, you know how you have God says. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit says, present tense, as he quotes from the Psalms. Mm -hmm. Because God is eternal, his spirit is with us, then this word is an eternal word. Mm. And then if you and I are discussing and and, and interacting with the word of God, there are three people in the room. Mm. There's you and me and the author himself Mm. with us. Mm. And so the gospel surely, always energizes the people of God mm. to love one another and to love the lost world. And if, if I've got, if I think I'm serious about the Word of God um, and it's not driving me to love mm. the Lord and the world mm. and my Christian brother and sisters, then I'm not serious about the Word of God, yes. I would want to say.
0: Yes, that's a, that's a wonderful emphasis to have, and, and that's it's unfortunately uh, too rare. Well, isn't it interesting? I mean, Paul says, for the love of of
1: God compels me for I am convinced that one died for all and therefore the all died and mm. so that 2 Corinthians 5 meditation on the cross if I've really meditated on the cross it will drive me to love the whole world mm. because one died for all and therefore the all, and that is the people of God who are called, died. So I do think actually it's a I I mean, it doesn't sound overly pious and sort of whatever, but as you as you meditate on the gospel and engage
0: with the gospel and do gospel ministry, it, I think mm. it drives you that, that Yes. Way. I'm speaking with Richard Burgon, and he said that um, one thing he observed, not something which you might necessarily have expected or, or, or have seen in a, in a textbook, he said, when he's taking a friend through the word one to one, when they make a profession of faith, after they have been saved, he says, when they're reading the text of the Bible after that, they read it out loud. Huh. He says, it's a fascinating thing. It's because they, now they love it. Mm. And they, want, they, 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 want, they, they, they say it out loud to you. Is this is it as you had expected when you, were, when you came into the ministry here?
1: I think, I mean, the city has trained, changed very substantially. The ministry hasn't. Mm. So, I mean, back in the nineteen sort of seventies, you know, people were coming um, by taxi from Euston, and they were taking. And there was a group that used to come up from Westminster. Um, You know, twenty people used to come to the City Partnership on a Wednesday morning from Westminster, and a number of them would then come on the Tuesday lunchtime. So, people were taking an hour and a half you know, 20 minutes to get here, 20 minutes back, and then maybe an hour here or half an hour here to get here, half an hour back and half an hour here. I mean, it, you know, it, now that is radically different mm. today. There mm. is just no way that could happen. Mm. So what we've done in terms of um, kind of uh, making it work is to, take the gospel out to all these different sites across the city in the working heart of of, of London. So then now I think, I don't know, 15, 20 different lunchtime meetings, they're not all from up here, but there are these meetings across the working heart of London. Mm -hmm. Um, But the ministry is just exactly the same because Mm -hmm. what I I always think is amazing, 168 hours in a week, 22 minutes at a lunchtime. Mm -hmm. And that 22 minutes changes people's lives, mm, mm. I mean, radically. I, I was, there was a guy who's been converted just recently who is, um, uh, who's um, just been baptised here, and I said, oh, I hope, um, am I, may, I, may I pass this on? He said, yeah, you can mention it. Anyway, he's a West Ham supporter, <laughs> and uh, I mean, you know, there we are, we, we take anybody, <laughs> so he's a West Ham supporter. And I said to he, but he stopped supporting West Ham. I said, why have you stopped supporting West Ham? He said, well, I'm disillusioned with the board, number one, but then at the same time, I don't fight and I don't drink anymore. And now he's just had 22 minutes. You know, he walked in, Gosh. he's been coming on a Thursday, sitting at the back, did anybody know him? Well, a few people knew him a bit, but 22 minutes and the power of the word of God Mm. actually to change a person's life, and one sees that I mean, it's a day of small things, and we're scattered mm. now. Mm-hmm. There must be hundreds and hundreds across mm. the 20 different works. Mm. But, you know, there'll be one or two here, one or two there, mm. who are coming to faith. Mm. Another guy, I mean, I could go on, but I mm. won't go on. There's another guy I'm reading with at the moment who came in, just an extraordinary story, fear of death, um, almost running through Liverpool Street Station for fear of the bombs that have been going off, you know, and and came to hear the gospel, and is now, I can walk through Liverpool Street without having to worry, worry I'm no longer frightened, and you know, it's just, he's heard the gospel a couple of times, the power of the word is, mm. is extraordinary. So, yes, oh, that's beautiful, that's but, wonderful. But, it is not, you know, it makes it, I don't want it to sound as if there are, you know, 200 people being converted every week. It mm. is a day of small things when mm. you think mm-hmm. there are 500,000 people working mm. in the city.
0: Mm. But the things, some of the things that you have learned here, I remember hearing Dick say that uh, that they decided we will keep it. It will be, was it 22 minutes? Or it will be, and it will be finishing on time. And some of those are very transferable lessons. Yes. People know when they come, it will be finished on time. They won't. I have learned, learned to do that myself in my little Romans groups with yeah, my, the local young brilliant. people. We say it's half an hour, and they go away knowing it was, it, it was life-changing, but also yeah. it, was, it wasn't just really long. There are lots of very <laughs>
1: basic lessons that, uh, you know... I mean, for example, that if you're living anywhere in Britain today, well, not anywhere, but most places, the majority of the congregation who you might hope to speak to on Sunday... Don't spend their week with you during mm-hmm. the week. Mm-hmm. The majority of their own personal ministry mission field is not in your geographical region. So you know, it's yes. c- certainly in the southeast, the industrial mm-hmm. revolution has yeah, happened. That's right, friends. You know, yeah. yes. and I'm wanting to say, you know, actually, am I seeing my Sunday ministry is mm-hmm. designed to equip? men and women, Mm -hmm. for their ministry Mm -hmm. wherever the Lord has them. And Mm -hmm. because we don't trust people in a way we used to in community, actually our friends are scattered. Mm-hmm. Also, So mm-hmm. I may not even know my next-door yes. neighbor, yes. I might live in Bromley, but I've actually barely even accepted talk about him cutting his Leylandi down, mm-hmm. you know, or telling him to move his dustbin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've probably barely, but my friends are actually scattered mm-hmm. around the southeast. So the Industrial Revolution has happened, and therefore if I'm thinking, if it's Church of England parish or neighborhood, Mm -hmm. Well, I'm probably then thinking about stay-at-home carers, Mm -hmm. um, mothers, children. Mm. I'm not thinking about working people, and the vast majority of people uh, I'm hoping to reach and speak to on a Sunday aren't there. Mm. My job is to equip them for ministry.
0: Mm -hmm. It's a radical rethink of the way church... Mm. Speaking of radical rethinks... One of the most uh, powerful things when one listens to the podcast of your Tuesday lunchtime um, sessions is the Q&A. Now, I don't imagine you came into this saying, let's do a Q&A, but now you, you, I don't know, maybe you did, but now it's as though you have answers at the tips of your fingers. What's that been like as a learning experience to, to, to guide a Q&A with gospel simplicity and with great Helpfulness to many.
1: <laughs> they make it sound; they make it sound far more than it is. Ben, well, if, but
0: anyone who it, hasn't heard it should hear it. Well, okay, good.
1: <laughs> I mean, we we sort of muddled along. <laughs> I think. I think if once you, thing is, start doing it, and you know, certainly you will have had questions asked mm-hmm, you if mm-hmm. you're in Bible teaching work. So you'll have most of, many of, of rudiments of the questions at your fingertips anyway. Mm-hmm. And the more you do it the more you'll be asked those questions. Mm. And, mm. Mm. I mean, you know, there are they're very rarely new questions. Yes, good point. Um, and so you quite quickly... But you yeah. have to work out each one, you know, and take them seriously. And yes. it's easy, you know, to give the impression, oh, that's a really stupid question. So, mm. you know, uh, Jay John, he, he's great, isn't he? He goes, you know, they'll, they'll read this question out, and you're thinking, that is... And he, you know... <laughs> good question. (laughs) And you're thinking, you can't believe that. You can't believe that. But actually to respect the questioner, to take it seriously, Mm. um, I heard um, uh, Amy or Ewing taking some questions the other day. And I thought, no, you know, yes, you really, you know, the gospel causes you to love that person, Uh to Mm. take them seriously, Mm. however bizarre the question might be.
0: Yeah, excellent. So we're sitting in a place where the world has been changed Um, on the streets around us here. Down the road from here, John Newton met William Wilberforce and that conversation changed the world. Further down the road, Whitfield preached the first sermon that he preached that was published. A little further down is where they burned Tyndale's New Testaments. Around the corner, of Wesley was converted. The world has been changed through events that have happened in this area. And we at Christian Heritage London are very aware of the church history. We love to tell these stories. We believe, it, believe it's entirely biblical to refer back to them. Um, who's someone from church history who has encouraged and uh, motivated well, you?
1: Well, I mean, I, I knew you were gonna ask oh. me this, and I thought, well, are there are any number of people who can say, I've actually got a letter from John Newton, um, man. a copy of a letter, but I know where the original is, from John Newton to William Wilberforce, Gracious. asking him to exert his influence on the bishop to get an evangelical into St. Helens, yeah. saying Gracious. what a wonderful pet church it is, it's a big building, and they could, you know, and so forth, so it's uh, lovely, isn't wow. it? Wow. So I've got a copy of that letter, but I thought, well, you've got all those people already, Ben, so I did, ta- <laughs> I did take my grandfather as, because that generation in Britain, um, you know that uh, you know that that well-known quote from the nineteen early early twentieth century, nineteen twenty something like that, that the evangelical party in England is an army of illiterates, generaled by octogenarians. Was it the other way round? Mm-hmm. Whichever you know, It, it was. It was uh, I think it's almost impossible for us in now in 2018 to realize how dire things were. Mm. So Oliver Barclay's book on Evangelism 1925 through to post-war is such a helpful book. Gives you an idea, uh, gives you an idea of just how low um, in it, in the early chapters he talks about all the, he talks about the lack of kind of um, serious academic thought, and because all all of the universities had followed the German liberal scholarship. And so with a state church, and educating all our state church leaders in those liberal faculties of Oxford, Cambridge, and biblical criticism, so Mm. undermining the authority of the Word of God, and all our great brains having died in the swamps of West Africa, as Barclay puts it so Mm. well. You know, evangelicalism was backs to the wall in the early 20th century. And um, my granddad uh, was a very intelligent man, army officer, educated at Winchester College, um, very bright, uh, big landowner in North Norfolk, and really lovely. He went, he was, they must, they had a returning missionary who came to be the vicar and he organized a trip to Norwich Town Hall or City Hall or whatever to hear a traveling evangelist and he invited my grandfather to come my grandfather said no 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 I'm a Christian already you know he sat sat in the front front pew had a family vault in the church and all the rest of it you know that sort of stuff I wouldn't know how to do that but on the day of the mission night There were too, too many people to go from the village to get into um, the bus that the person had organised. And so he went up to my grandfather's house and said, you're the only person in the village with a car. Would you mind terribly bringing? That night he was converted. So he was then nurtured as a new convert by strict Baptist kind of very kind of um, Defensive kind of environment, mm. and and there he was a Christian. Mm. Within a year, he'd um, he put up a marquee on the village green because everybody in the village worked on the farm. So he'd put up a marquee and had the gospel preached the entire, oh. all of the village, all the estate workers, everything. Very involved in Keswick, uh-huh. so he was the only person allowed to speak. On the afternoon, he had his student tent, and he, I was talk, he talked to Dick about it. Dick Lucas. He says, "Ah, oh, yes. Well, Major Bat and his—he his, was the only person allowed to do talks outside of the main tent on the afternoon. So, I don't know how he managed to do it, but he just did it. And um, so, anyway, I was converted through him. Mm. But he was—the reason I choose him is not just sentimental reasons." Those people guarded the gospel Mm. for us Mm. through the mid part of the twentieth through the mid part of the twentieth century, Mm. Mm. and um, you know he was very involved. Norman Anderson came up to me after my grandfather died, and I was working in Tyndall House at the time, and he just came up and he said, "Oh, your grandfather walked around, walked along the backs with me for two and a half hours." uh, he didn't say bullying, but um, arguing with me that I must become principal of Tyndale House because <laughs> of the importance of education. And, and I said to my grandfather, because I inherited his library, he, he was very involved in, with all those kind of guys, with IVP and so forth, and um, I said to him, which of your books were in print by living authors, mm. living authors mm when you were a new Christian in the 1930s, 40s, and, uh, and early 50s. And he pointed to just two books, Graciously. just two books mm. by evangelicals mm. in print. Mm. One of them was O'Hallisby, mm-hmm. Prayer, Prayer. T.C. Hammond, In Understanding Be Men. Mm-hmm. Now, Hammond was Irish, O'Hallisby was Norwegian. Mm-hmm. So not one, and I, again, I said to Dick Lucas, "You know, is, is that really true? And Dick said, um, no, there was a general who'd written a book on Christian leadership. <laughs> but all of the rest Gracious me. were, you know, so actually that generation, he was very involved in um, Haringey mm. looked after a particular sector of the, 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 the group there and with that they they defended the gospel mm. for us mm. in in kind of what you might call the dark ages mm. of the, the the early middle part of the 20th century I mean of course there were great great ones I mean obviously Lloyd Jones was doing his thing but then then Stott emerged as kind of the not only a great intellect but great leader of evangelicals, but up to then, and, and those kind of strong lay leaders, mm. they were the ones who were behind getting Dick in mm-hmm. here, and so he's a bit of a hero to mm. me. Mm. Um, I used to, again, stay with him um, before going up to university for the three years that I was at university, and then when I was new, when I was uh, at Theological College, and he would give me a... Personal Bible reading mm. uh, so he would basically give me whatever latest iq or diq address he'd given one on one so it was you know it was not quite reading the Bible one to one it was kind of Preaching one to one. I am sitting there, they go, yes, yes, certainly. But they were great. A real prayer mm. up every morning before six, you know, mm. at his desk, mm. reading his Bible, praying, mm. Mm. and just giving a model of Beautiful. gospel, what it looks like to be a Christian mm. in the world. So he was in all, you know, he was all involved in the county and chair mm. of the bench and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But mm. at the same time, out at night doing
0: missions and so mm. forth. So. So on. it's it's beautiful to hear a story of someone who might not be celebrated and famous, but who has brought wonderful fruit. I think uh, how, how how delighted he must have been to see you come to a position where fruit so seeds which he had sowed were bringing forth fruit. It was in the lovely city.
1: too because he used to run in evangelists the evangelists. So he he would have people like Eric Delve and Jay John. VJ e. Menon, they would come up and he would have like evangelist gatherings and that mm. sort of thing. So, oh, and I think the impact of a clear Christian in whatever setting they are, if they really go for it and, um, you know, take a lead mm. and act on the gospel, mm. it, it, you know, it can be high up in society as he was or it can be completely the other end, not you know, whatever you, whatever, whatever you are, wherever you are. I think if you decide to really go for it, just the tentacles of the
0: gospel that can impact. Amen, amen. That's something which, yes, I agree with that. And we've, we've been very struck. We're trying to plant a little church in the, on a housing estate in Tower Hamlets and we see very little encouragement. But I've been struck recently by the importance of just sowing a seed, Mm, just sowing mm, a seed, mm. so that we're not just, we we are known on the estate for being unusually constructive, you know, unusual people have stopped and said, what's going on, you know, because they're unusually, we don't fit, (laughs) because most, there's, there's chaos and there's mess and noise and so on. But we are known for being constructive and helpful. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. abstract we've got to find ways to just mention Jesus. Yes. And because when we say something, well, the Holy Spirit tends to use <laughs> these seats.
1: And then a person, however, however kind of broken and dysfunctional and unpromising they may seem to be, when you start um, sharing the gospel. That what the Lord can do with a person mm. in their sphere, of yeah. mission. Yes. I mean, there's a guy um, here who I remember when he first walked in, thinking, "Oh my dear, <laughs> you know, city guy." But he, this now five, seven years later, I heard him leading something public the other day, and he, you know, he's, what the Lord has made of him. Bless God. Amazing, mm-hmm. you know, and actually. I just think every single... Mark Ruston, who was the person who read the Bible with me, I sort of wanted Mark Ruston and my grandfather side by side because that generation, you know. But Mark Ruston used to say, everyone, every individual is a multiplication table. Mm. Mm. And what he meant was you share the gospel with that person, you read the Bible with them and nurture them, the Lord grows them into a Christian laborer every single one becomes a multiplication table mm. and uh, I'm not quite sure where you find that verse in the bible but, but it, it's you know the
0: laborers in the harvest field isn't it amen and it's the organicness you tend to find there is no other movement in the world like the like the church which has brought such conspicuous stabilization encouragement blessing wherever mm. it's gone you can't point to did you know Islam has never had um, an, an abolition movement? Mm. Slavery is still fine. <laughs> um, but, so, but it's through the gospel that we've had these great encouragements. And now, of course, we deny, the boundary, we deny the foundations and want to enjoy the fruits. And that, of course, is a fascinating challenge for our time. But um, coming on from that, William, what's new with you? What's, what's, what's exciting you now? What's, uh, what's next for you?
1: Well, very much the same, I think. I mean, I, I don't think there's, <laughs> there's not... I mean, there's some things I really want to do, so... Um, personally, I have really enjoyed, I love teaching the Bible, mm. and I've enjoyed trying to make some of the Bible teaching that we're engaged in into resources that other people can use. So, the kind of remark learn books like the John, the Romans, the Luke, and I would love to, before you know, I'm finally summoned, um, to have to have a kind of read, mark, learn, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I just think to have that will be wonderful. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think a lot of us read the Gospels by just, we've been so affected by the biblical criticism of the late 19th, 20th century, that we just nugget, nugget, straight to me, and we end up with a very small Jesus, mm-hmm. and a rather big me, mm-hmm. and usually rather a misguided me. Mm-hmm rather than reading the Gospels as they're intended to be read. So that's mm. my personal thing. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of the city here, and um, I've talked about realizing that the Industrial Revolution has happened. I think, people used to say, we won't see the nation won for Christ unless we win the universities. Mm-hmm. I actually think we won't impact, we won't really impact Unless we learn to evangelize the workplace, that is where people spend over 50% of their waking week. Mm-hmm. And that's where all their serious relational uh, interactions happen if they're in a commuting environment. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to see serious evangelism at work, to realize I'm a Christian mm. before I'm. Before I'm a nurse or a teacher, number one, I'm a Christian, and mm-hmm. this is my mission field. I sometimes say, say to the guys here, you are the vicar mm-hmm. of that office. Mm-hmm. You know, that's you. So, so to that, and to that end, um, if you imagine a pyramid, it's stable. Mm-hmm. Um, Imagine an upside-down pyramid. It it is inherently unstable. I think much of our evangelistic work has been done on an upside-down pyramid model. Mm -hmm. So we make the public event the major thing Mm -hmm. with very little personal ministry and evangelism with the result that huge pressure is put on the speaker to be an expert in this, or a celebrity at that, or glamorous at the other, or, you know, and actually pressure to use other methods than clear explanation of the gospel. Mm. You've got got to be able to give a reason for everything about creation, or, you know, you just have all these other things. right? um, Because there's such a, a narrow base of of individuals who are actually doing the personal, speaking the gospel to their friends. Mm -hmm. Now, turn the pyramid the other way up, Mm -hmm. have an army Mm -hmm. of workers in the city, all of whom are equipped and eager to speak the gospel Mm -hmm. personally to Mm -hmm. their friends and colleagues and so forth, lay on a public event. It'll be packed, Mm -hmm. and they'll be wanting to hear the gospel, Mm -hmm. uh, or whatever it is, you know, they'll be wanting to hear the gospel talk, and they will be followed up by an army of Mm labourers, because they brought... And that's what we've seen. We we asked every single small group at St Helens to run their own dialogue event. Mm -hmm. We trained the leader of every group so that he could give a seven-minute evangelistic talk Every single group at St. Helens, had in in the first two years of St. Helens, and in the city, had, and as as, as Roger Carlsall said to me, they will have prayed for themselves far more than they've ever prayed for you. (laughs) And hundreds of people came and heard the gospel. Mm. The result is that when we've run something at St. Helens since, all sorts of non-Christians have been coming in, Brought by those who, when they're doing ministry. So, re. Mm. what do you say? Putting the pyramid the right way up so Mm. that we've got everybody working as being personal evangelists, trained in it, Mm. doing it, holding their own little events, knowing how to do the word one to one. Mm. You've had Richard. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, have your event. Yes. But you've got an army.
0: Yeah. And you've also got a church full of people who are growing in maturity, which seems to be uh, right and healthy. Well,
1: it's back to where we began. Am I, my lad, wow. uh, you're not glazing over no, yet? No, no, no. no. So it's back to where we began because yes, it is. if the Word of God is His living Word, then when you and I sit down together, there are three people in the room. Mm. And as we look at His Word, yes, He's addressing you. But he's also addressing me. Mm, so true. And so I'm growing. I'm growing as I teach it. Mm. So if I'm not sharing the word, teaching the word, spreading the word, then I will be like the stagnant pond. Mm-hmm. As I teach the word, so God address it it's it's a it's a three-way anyway.
0: Yes, yes. Don't you find tend to find it's just when you finish teaching a book, you feel ready to teach the book. Absolutely. Because you learn so much as you're doing it. Absolutely. Yes. So finally coming on, William, what's your advice for people? You will have seen a great deal of things which you may not have expected. You may be seeing people in our times and thinking, I'm seeing a lot of this and I wish I wasn't. Or you may have thought some things you've learned yourself. What I mean, Christian advice, or you want just
1: sort of general? No, no. no. I mean, yeah. How to stay slim? <laughs> no, no. That's right. Well, I've got, I mean, got a lot of advice. I have a lot of advice I Now, I think, um, uh, I think this is the most just the thing we've noticed recently. I think we are we have been intimidated by a very vocal minority in the. Uh, public space Mm -hmm. to think that people are not interested, not hungry, um, you know, you've got to win them as if they don't actually know there's a God. Mm -hmm. Um, The Bible tells us they do know there's a God. They've just suppressed the knowledge, but everybody knows. And therefore we've been intimidated to think we have to bring in an expert, we have to argue this, we have to do the other, and I want to say no, actually if you will only get on the front foot prayerfully, prayerfully, Mm. invite three or four, you know, neighbours round, have a friend to come and talk to them a little bit about the gospel. Speak, be courageous, pray for the power of the Spirit to enable you, but actually do something. You don't just sit there and pray waiting. No, the biblical... Um, equation is you pray and then go, and then He enables as you go. Mm. You know, I labor with His strength, which so powerfully works within me. Mm. So just be on the front, don't believe the lies of a tiny minority. So, this mm. outreach we've done the hunger, the hunger mm. out there. It's really... Okay, lots of people said no, but lots and lots of people said, yeah, we're interested, we want to find out more. Mm -hmm. So don't be cowed. Mm. Um, The gospel is very powerful. Mm.
0: Bless God. It's wonderful to hear these things and to talk about these things with you, William. Thank you so much for what you're doing, and thank you so much for your time with us. Thank you, Ben. It's been lovely to see you. For more episodes of the Christian Heritage London podcast, And for information on Christian Heritage London events, tours and walks, please go to christianheritagelondon.org.